0: I'm Brett Coleman and you're listening to the Sounds of the Loom podcast.
1: Morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson. With me is the newly old Callum Williams, who celebrated a birthday this past weekend. Cal, are you a big birthday guy? Like, are you... Are you into your birthday? No, I hate it. Okay.
0: I, I just hate it. And everybody in the office knows that as well. So <laughs> it was all over the place. Uh, during the, the game on Saturday, the guys did something on the broadcast. They put happy birthday all over the booth and everything. And just horrible. Just I, I hate it, yeah.
1: Now, when did that... I mean, when you were a child, you must have enjoyed your birthday. Yes, of course. What was what was the tipping point? Like, when did it start becoming a burden?
0: When I started to realize I was getting older. Okay. Just in terms of, you know, when you are, um, you know, when you're a kid, you, you get all these great toys to play with and everything, and, sure. and, and life is is brilliant. Um, but when you get older, you know, um, like, for example, one of my gifts was a, was a power drill. I'm like... Okay. Yeah. Sure. Great. Like, and and I appreciate someone buying me that because it's very useful.
1: Well, yeah. The, the sad part is at that point you legitimately are like, thank you. Yes. Like I yes. actually needed this, um, and absolutely. it's sad that,
0: that I need this. That's my point exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's it just progressively becomes more more grim. I think cause you, I, I dread to think what kind of gifts I'll get when I'm 79, let alone 29. So. I think maybe
1: it comes around at that point because then you're just happy to be alive. Yeah. And, and so and so whatever yes. you get is 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 appreciated. I, I definitely remember the sense of, you know, when you were a kid and you got you know socks. You're like, what the yeah? Like, <laughs> like, what is this? I wanted Legos yep. or Voltron. Like, what is this? Right now, I get socks. I'm like, oh, thank God, you know I needed this, socks. Yeah. I didn't. And so it's it's sad that now I am happy. To get socks, I'm like I just haven't had time to get new socks. Yes, you know, so this completely is, this comes yeah.
0: comes at a perfect time. Copies amounts of underwear as well, which I yeah. appreciate big time. Being a being a bloke, I I need new underwear. So yes,
1: because we never replace our underwear. no,
0: exactly. We we have <laughs> underwear. I swear to God, Steve, I have underwear. <laughs> that must be decades old yes, and absolutely. it's like it's ripped all over the place and the yeah. amount of times I'm like ah people won't see this it's yeah. fine I'll still wear it I'm just such a bloke in that regard yeah you know?
1: yeah well this, I definitely I mean at this age it's like I have certain shirts that I'm like okay this is an old shirt and then I'm like this shirt is literally 15 years old yeah. like it's a it's a t-shirt it's like I should probably retire it but it's just for the weekend yes you yes lounging like, around yeah. yeah exactly so um it, So what was a good... Did you have a good birthday somewhere in there, though? I feel like there's a sweet spot, right? You know?
0: Um, In in terms of the age?
1: Yeah, like... Because here's the thing. I think I may have talked about this before. When you're young, I think at first you don't know about birthdays. You're Mm. a little kid. You you get presents. You're like, this is great. Then you begin to be excited for presents. Then you begin to be sort of like a greedy jerk, right? (laughs) And so then when your birthday is coming around, you don't think about birthday or Christmas, either of these things. You don't think about the value of getting older or having your friends with you. You're just like, what are you going to give me, right? And then there's some point where it's like you appreciate the things that you're given um but you don't but you've gone past wanting them because you can buy your own things, but then it's just nice to get gifts. Uh, it's nice to go out with friends yep. and then at some point it becomes a burden as you're saying. so what was the what was the sweet spot for you where you were like, I actually enjoyed these birthdays
0: I think that the one that stands out for me Steve is is when you turn eighteen in England because the, the drinking age you, you, you turn sure. eighteen um, and you can legally drink so um, that that was probably a good one for me. I remember having a, my parents put on a, a big party. Uh, which was great and loads of friends and family and, and whatnot and that, that was always good and I kind of thought to myself yeah this is this is awesome again like this is really cool to hang out with people and, and, and I've started to see the other side of the birthday rather than you know I want this 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 I right, right, right. like these gifts it's actually this is great to hang out with these people and have a couple of beers and you know see how everyone's doing so there was that and I remember when I turned 21 as well um, for, for some reason in England I, I don't know why But it's still a big birthday as well. Obviously, we all know why it is here. But um, in England, it is as well. I don't know uh, why. But I remember that was just before I moved to the United States as well. And there was a big party and whatnot, so that was pretty cool as well. So the, the, the two big ones really stand out for me, 18 and 21, and uh, yeah. hopefully the, the next big one, which will be 30, um, that'll be uh, just as fun, I'm sure it will.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, 21, I, I mean, I, obviously, legally, there's a different situation there, but I think 21 also has a sort of feel of, you know... It, There is a sense of maturation at that moment. I think it it roughly coincides with sort of the end of, I believe you would call it university or uh, college here. So somewhere like that. Like you're either in your senior year or maybe you're just done with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I turned 21 in my senior year of college, which is I was a little young for my grade, but Mm -hmm. uh, grade year, whatever. (laughs) Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. I have grade school children, so everything has gone back to being ah. grades for me. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that for me, around that early that early adulthood period of sort of 21 through my mid 20s, mm-hmm. um, I was I was in a relationship with a woman who had the same birthday as me, the exact same birthday. Oh, as me. wow! And that was actually I actually enjoyed that situation because I'm not a huge birthday person. Mm-hmm. Um, so we shared a birthday. And that was kind of nice because I could focus on her birthday, but I was also, it was also my birthday. So it sort of put me in that perfect Scottie Pippen second banana roll in the birthday situation. So I could sort of make it about her. But also, you know, then, and you know, when we would go on a trip, it wasn't like, I think when you plan a, if you want to plan something for your significant other on their birthday, it's like, this is your birthday, I'm doing this for you. But this way it was like, we were sort of doing it for each other, you know, Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. So I I think those were, those were some good birthdays. yeah, I am also now firmly in the camp of I would rather no one pay attention to me, which is nice because my wedding anniversary is a, a week after my birthday, ah. uh, which then, again, handily now we can just focus on the the wedding
0: anniversary. Absolutely, you can, yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure the missus is, is delighted with that. I just, yeah. I just hate all the attention being on me, Steve. Yeah. I just don't like it at all. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just not not that kind of person who likes that uh, that limelight, I guess. So, um, but no, look, I mean, I had a, a fabulous birthday. Went and celebrated with some friends and, and colleagues and whatnot. And uh, after the game, obviously, it was great to get a win and uh, another reason to celebrate there. And uh, went and had a few beers elsewhere. And um, after the game, it was. It was good, enjoyed it. Yeah,
1: that's a good transition. Thank you for the professional
0: segue <laughs> into the game. Uh,
1: let's talk a little bit about uh, NYCFC. Uh, I, here's the question that I thought I, I found myself asking during the game and afterwards: Do you think that the Minnesota United? Were they playing? Were we playing a particularly physical game and getting away with it, or was NYCFC just spending a lot of time on the ground? I couldn't really tell.
0: So the the reason why there were um, the, the reason why the game was as aggressive as it was is because New York City FC, at least from my vantage point, were trying to stop the rhythm of Minnesota United. Because mm-hmm. if you notice, and I said this several times after the game on Saturday. I wish every MLS game every soccer game in general were as was as lively as that opening 45 minutes was yeah. because it was just full pace frantic chaotic it was so much fun to commentate on because yeah. it was you know from one end of the field to the other so quickly right, and right, right. and I said this to Morgan our producer uh, afterwards I felt as though the broadcast um, match the level of the of the game, uh, the pace of the game, which always helps. And and I just I remember at one stage, sort of 30, 35 minutes in, taking a step back and just thinking, I'm really, really enjoying this. Yeah. Um, so, look, playing on the road in any league is obviously different, but it, it, it really is different in this league in terms of a lot of teams will come and play for a point. Um, New York City FC, it was obvious... Um, that they had issues controlling Minnesota United's press in the opening 45. Mm -hmm. They had issues controlling the pace and the power. Um, So in the second half, they came out obviously looking to frustrate. You know, I thought New York City FC played some decent stuff. Uh, I thought Tajuri Shradi was was very, very good. He didn't Mm -hmm. deserve to be on the losing team at all. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him develop uh, further into MLS. I thought Alexander Ring played his role of of villain supremely well. Yeah, Um, he was real hot the whole game. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's his job, it's what he's there to do. Kindred St. Auburn made a great point of when he uh, was with Vieira, playing under Vieira, he was very much a holding, sitting midfielder, but I think um, Dominic Torren has him playing um, a little higher. He he gives him a little more leeway to push forward, and, and Mm. and that was obvious. So I think which Chara has also kind of gotten to do a little bit this a season little year. bit so yeah so a little bit going from
1: that strict holding midfielder to being getting a little more responsibility.
0: Creatively. We're, we're losing people in the holding midfield appreciation <laughs> society, Steve. Like, this is Sad. desperately devastating. Yeah. Into I know so what's going on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, fair play to New York City FC. They and look, they very nearly got something out of it, didn't they? You know, mm-hmm. towards the end, they really forced the hand of Minnesota. So, uh, but look, it's. Credit to the resiliency of Minnesota. I thought Coleman was outstanding again. Uh, all alongside him hardly put a foot wrong as well. Geronti Sol made a good return to the first-team folds. Calvo looks as comfortable as ever at left-back.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to uh, mention because, you know, I, obviously I think one thing that's been talked about a lot over the last,
0: you know, since – the
1: team joined MLS is like, is Cabo in the right position as a center back? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we saw him come out as the left center back and those, that, that three, five, two or five, three, two, whatever that, that, the the sort of the switch formation and everything like that. And we saw how successful that, that made him. And he's just moved over to left back, like made that move right now really quietly but been tremendously effective over there.
0: Very, very good, and let's not forget he played at left back with Ciprija and Costa Rica before coming here. But the key difference being here is for the majority of his time in his homeland, he played in a five-man back line, yeah. where he was almost operating as a wing back. Right. So with this formation, with him just playing at a flat back four, his attacking responsibilities are lesser. Yeah. So. Because I, th- I, think, I think even Calvo would, would admit that he, he, he can get caught out from time to time uh, roaming and his positioning at times was, was questionable, um, playing at centre-half. But in this left-back role, I, I think he's really fitted in nicely. He, yeah. I love the fact that he, he plays a lot of the, the, the ball over the top as well. Uh, for obvious reasons, as we've said before, this is why we, we missed Fernando Bob and... Um, Maximiano in midfield on Saturday. Um, but, look, I think Calvo's been good. And having said that, you know, I know we're not going to see Colin Warner in Philadelphia because of the red cards, but I thought he was he was good. Um, yeah. A little erratic at times, but that's Colin's game. Um, I thought Schuler was tremendous again. And, and I only learnt this, this last week. Schuler, at least prior to this game, led MLS in successful tackles made. Yeah. I think the number was something like 93 or something. 93 yeah, tackles made, right. and and I just thought that's tremendous. Because I don't think Schuler gets anywhere near the amount of credit he deserves. Yeah. Because you know he's not really a proper holding number six. He is a box to box. Right. But someone who is as effective as that in terms of retaining possession and winning the ball back and whatnot. They're so key to to any team in yeah. playing in any formation and system. So yeah. it was good. I was pleased for Rodriguez as well. He, he, he Wait, we're going to talk about him in a second. Let me talk okay. about Shuler
1: first. Uh, yeah, I think Sh- <laughs> the thing about Shuler that strikes me is that it, it it's a little tough in his situation because I, I think that the success that the team has had has often been, um, it you know, He's been a huge part of that. Uh, again, making tackles and, and and sort of doing everything that's been asked of him, uh, playing some of that holding role, but also you know being responsible for getting forward and everything like that. As the team gets better, I think the the thing is that he's going to be he's obviously a part of this team going forward. Mm-hmm. His contributions are going to be woven even more deeply into you know working with. Um, you know, if, if he's somebody who's working with Maximiano and and Bob, and you know he's in there and everything like that, he's going to disappear even more in some ways because other thing other people are going to get more attention as they you know as Angelo gets adjusted and Darwin's yeah. obviously takes a lot of spotlight, but he's still going to be very important. Um, I mean, maybe that's some of the the, the tough uh, part of being a midfielder like that. Like he's going to go somewhat underappreciated, as do guys like Colin Warner. Yep. Um, you know. I, obviously, obviously Bob can hit some of those long through balls and things like that that draw some attention to him. But they're doing a lot of work back there that just – it's just not going to get appreciated. No,
0: it doesn't. And I would encourage anybody, again, when you watch the game on Saturday at Philadelphia Union, to, to watch the holding midfielders. I I would assume that Bob would come back in. I, I don't know if it's going to be Maximiano or Shula. Maybe Schuler goes back out wide again, you know, and I, I, I have no idea. But – um, I would just encourage people to watch the two holding midfielders and just just appreciate what they did. Yeah.
1: Now let's talk about Angelo a little bit because I, you know, you were going there and you talked a little bit earlier up front about the press. Yep. Um, that's one of those things, and we talked a, a bit last week about Angelo and the question of he's not scoring goals. He obviously did score a pair of goals, mm. um, at least one of which is due very directly to his desire and willingness to get out there and push that back line. Um, you know, when that poor pass came in uh, and he just jumped on it, went right mm-hmm. around Johnson and put it in. Um, I love I love seeing that. I mean, it, it's one of those things that it might not be central – we talked a little bit about identity uh, mm-hmm. last week and the idea of having guys like Bob and Calvo who can get the ball over the midfield to a guy like Darwin in space because Darwin is good at finding those pockets of space. And then Darwin getting it to a guy like Angelo to hold up, yes. getting it out to wingers. There's things like that. Angelo's, uh, you know, sort of pressure that he as the sort of first defender, which he's talked about. He, I think he even said that when mm-hmm. he came in that that pressure is not something it's not it's not exactly a game plan in the sense of we get the ball and then this is how we play it but he's just an he can be an agent of chaos out there hmm. in terms of making it tough for the other team to make those moves out of the backfield and that slows down an attack that's a big that's a big part and i think it's one of those things that can be maybe not a primary option but if it's something he's constantly doing that just gives you opportunities like to get easy goals like that second goal you know
0: yeah i thought the one thing which I was impressed with was his hold-up play again, which we know that's why he's there. He's a big boy. Um, you, you wouldn't, you know, if you were getting yourself into scrap, you'd want him on your side for sure. Um, he, uh, I, I thought he was magnificent, Stephen. The, the first goal was a result of the press as well. You know, Miguel, yeah, with with a delicious ball in. I mean the The run was made very well by Rodriguez. If you, if you go back and watch it, he, he was able to to wriggle away from his centre half. I can't remember who was marking him, but yeah, uh, Rodriguez got away from him. But the placement on the on the cross from Miguel Ibarra was was absolutely wonderful, and uh, Miguel deserves a lot of credit for that as well. He's he's again very quietly having a an exceptional season. So, and I don't think he finishes on these numbers either. I think he's still got a goal or two in him, as well as another couple of assists as well. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm delighted for Rodriguez obviously he's got a lot of a lot of criticism recently because he's not from the back of the net on a regular basis uh, some very harsh criticism some criticism I don't think he was deserving of at all um, from various different people around the, the soccer world in in uh, North America so I think Rodriguez as we've said before I don't expect him to score 20 goals or so I just I just don't right but his presence on the field is is simply that much more effective than what we had there before. I, I'm interested to see. I, I don't think we'll. I, I think I may have even said this on the last podcast or, or one before. I don't think we'll see a, a proper representation of what he's of what what he can do until next season, mm-hmm. uh, because he's also going to have. Let's not forget Molino and, and Finley. You would imagine either side of Quintero as yeah. well. So yeah. I still think a lot of. Um, the majority of his goals are going to come from when the ball comes in from out wide positions because I think he's sure. a threat in the air. Yeah. We saw that in that headed exactly that headed goal, which was great. so. I, I think we're going to see most of his goals come from from that sort of area. It wouldn't surprise me. So I thought he was great. I really did, and just a, you know weight lifted off of his shoulders as well. It was good to, to score in front of those fans at home. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, let, let's hope he kicks on from here.
1: Yeah, uh, and you mentioned uh, Miguel Ibarra. Uh, I wanted to note he I believe he had a hundred percent passing accuracy.
0: I saw that in yeah. that game,
1: uh, and you know, there's the, the U.S. Men's ma- National Team is, is making its decisions coming up uh, about who's getting called up. Do you think he's made, I think he's made a pretty good case for himself uh, in terms of getting
0: that call up. Absolutely. I would have no hesitation of calling him in. I think, um, you know, as as we've just said, he's he's had a very good season. I just hope that it's been noticed by those at US Soccer and look, Miguel Miguel had, I think last year was a settling in year in Major League Soccer for him. I think a lot of people were saying, is he good enough? Is, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is he quite ready for this jump? And But you know there's a lot of staunch believers in in his ability, and and quite rightly so as well. I think Miguel gives the United States an option for sure. I don't. I don't think he would start, but I think he certainly gives the United States an option off the bench. And look, if he starts, then great. But I'd be surprised if he if he wasn't at least on the preliminary Mm thoughts of Dave Saracen. but hey, who knows? We've seen stranger things in in, in world football. So uh, right. let's let's hope Miguel gets called up. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, shifting gears here. Uh, I wanted to talk about sneakers with
1: you for a minute. Um, are you a fan of, of the casual sneakers?
0: Well, see, this. so we, we have an issue straight away, the fact that they're called sneakers. Trainers. Trainers, right, because you don't sneak in them, nor do you train in them either. No, so you don't do either we, of those things. <laughs> so we have to come up with something. <laughs> you and I, I reckon we have to come up with something, and, and the listener here as well, if you could think of something, a, a different description to what you wear on your feet.
1: Yes, uh, my wife refers to them as, as tennis shoes, tennis. Well, you don't
0: play tennis in no, them No, you don't. And I mean, most
1: of the time, it's talking about running shoes, and I don't run in my. I mean, I try to run in my running shoes when I can. So, right. um, but but but. Let, the subject of, of, of casual footwear is mm-hmm. one that's near and dear to my heart. I, okay. love, I love sneakers, um, I'm gonna call it, or trainers if you sure. want to. Um, one of my favorite genres of them is not the running or the performance type or the basketball type, but like the everyday sneakers. So uh, amongst those those types of sneakers, I think of Sambas as one of my favorites, the, the Adidas Samba classic, you know, indoor soccer shoe. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the Chuck Taylors, the, the canvas okay. shoes. Um, the Asics Tigers is another one of my favorites. Um, do, do you have a favorite uh, casual sneaker? Wh- whichever is the most comfortable. Okay.
0: <laughs> you know, um, being European, I, I, have, uh, a s- I have a I have a certain taste, shall we say, uh, that may very well differ to to the the listeners' taste. Um, <laughs> so. I am very much I like those ones you know you know the ones that you can get from like H and M for like twenty dollars or whatnot that you can just throw away when you're done with sure. them after a year. Yeah, I like those kind of things. I must admit, Steve, I've, I've never really spent a lot of money on uh, on casual shoes, casual yeah. trainers or anything. I tend to spend money on uh, dress shoes, work shoes, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know the the type of footwear that that naturally is more expensive. Yeah. Um, but having said that, my my wife bought me some Timberlands yeah, the other week, and I'd never had a pair of Timberlands in my life. But these are in preparation purely of the apocalypse that is Minnesota becoming, winter, uh, which yeah. is coming here, yeah. uh, whenever it is. But um, I'll give a good pair of
1: hiking boots or boots of some type are, is very essential in, in Minnesota. I completely I, I, agree. I, I can justify spending upwards of a hundred bucks.
0: On yeah, that. absolutely. I also got some waterproof um, yeah. boots as yes. well, which I've never had in my life, but yes. uh, I guess this is something you need so your toes don't fall off up here. So Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I have some sorrels that are waterproof that are quite good.
0: So. Okay, but to answer your question, Steve, I've never really properly spent money on, on trainers. Like the, the ones I have on now but, yes. are, are literally just... They're gray, kind of fabricy. Yeah, just, you know, the bog standard $20, $30 things that you get from H&M or Old Navy or something, you know? And, yeah um yeah I, i'm sorry to disappoint you i just no it's you know. okay i i
1: you know i take all opinions. it's the, the the casual end of it is interesting to me because uh, again I, I i'm thinking of shoes these shoes should be under 60 basically sure, like i don't nice. know, i i think that i can't justify spending 120 bucks on basketball no, shoes no, or something no, no. like that but you know it's just sort of how much shoe like i have a lot of friends who are they love chucks you know like those canvas shoes everybody wears them all day I can't, like, they're too flat for me. There's not enough, there's not enough shoe there. Like, it's just a little bit too little for me. Right. I like the Sambas. I'm thinking of this because I just got a new pair of Sambas, but I like them because once you sort of find the right uh, amount to lace them up, you can just slip them on, essentially. They become, and then they become my shoes that, you know, the Tide, but I can just throw them on, and I can mow the lawn in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, you know, they're 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 appropriately on brand to work for a soccer team, so you can, <laughs> <laughs> they work to wear them to work every once in a while. I, I had to replace mine because I was I had the traditional black ones, and when it was pouring down rain, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and I walked outside after work, I realized water was coming into my shoes. so oh. I was like, what? And I looked, and I, there were these little cracks along the bottom. Ah. So, uh, so yeah, so I went and invested in some new sambas. But uh,
0: well, that's I mean, you, you should treat yourself.
1: You know, every once in time. a while. So. Also
0: so, by the way, whilst we're on the subject of fashion, I love your cardigan, by the way. Oh, thank you. Steve has got a very nice cardigan. <laughs> I love blue when you say cardigan. cardigan. This is cardigan. <laughs> well, we do we speak the same language, but we we often we, we say things so differently, don't we? The cardigan
1: we? feels even more cardigan when you say it as cardigan. <laughs> like, I feel like it's entirely appropriate. So
0: well, it's funny, someone, my my brother-in-law texted me the other day and he said uh, the the one thing which he, he was watching the uh the British Baking Show.
1: Yes, The Great British Bake Off. Yes. Great show.
0: And uh, uh, I guess so, yes. I've never watched it, you but uh, it. okay, I will do. Um, and he said, um, you know, uh, how are you doing and all that kind of stuff? He said, by the way, I've just learned the funniest thing ever, and that's British people saying banana. <laughs> banana, <laughs> I yes. I was like, okay. That's,
1: <laughs> As that's opposed to banana. That's a banana. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Banana is, is it sounds classic.
0: I mean, it's it's got like a
1: banana. Feels like now I feel like I'm really eating something, (laughs) as opposed to banana, which you know.
0: What? How do you feel when you say banana? When you say banana, how do you feel? Banana.
1: I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's like I have kids. They say nana. I don't say banana, so they don't understand that. So, but yeah, um, no banana feels pretty classy cardigan i still like cardigan <laughs> yeah I, I should actually see i was sitting next to tj here at work and he has the exact same outfit on. oh right? really we could, oh that's yeah. cute so he has a blue cardigan <laughs> and also a check shirt underneath it so wow yeah you guys are so minnesotan it's cardigan weather man it's uh <laughs> it's 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 the time for it it's fall so um okay let's move on from fashion men's fashion which i could talk about i could talk all day about men's fashion uh just like hans gruber and die hard but um let's talk about philly mm. coming up to philly this is our first time going to Philly. Philly
0: came here uh, last season. Uh, Have you been to Philadelphia before? I have. Uh, We usually, I think the the MLS hotel is in Old Town, Philly. Sounds right. I mean, that is a part of Philly. Yeah, it's it's right on the water, I believe. If that is still the same hotel, I don't know. But I always remember... Really enjoying Old Town Philadelphia and mm-hmm. all of the intricacies that it that it has to offer. Um, there's some lovely little restaurants that are sort of tucked away these little alleyways and whatnot. And uh, obviously, we'll be on the hunt for for the cheesesteak as well, the best one. Yes. Uh, and now we we actually were very fortunate at Minnesota United because we do have a Philadelphia guide in our social media individual, uh, yes, Mike Shields. True, yes. Shields is a Philly guy. He's a Philly guy. So we're all hoping that he knows the right spots to go to to get the best cheesesteak. Yes. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that. I know that the classic battles
1: between Pat's and Geno's, which okay. are across the street from each other. Um, I first had Pat's, uh, although I didn't go to... I, be, I believe Pat's King of Steaks is the is the original one. I went to Pat's Prince of Steaks, which is in Reading Terminal. Reading Terminal is also a great place to go. If anybody okay. here knows the Mid uh, Midtown Global Market... Uh, Reading terminal is kind of a similar thing in Philly and uh, I had pats there and that was amazing because I, so my roommate in college uh, was from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is just outside Philly. So he spent a lot of time in Philly and, um, you know, I, I was like, I like cheesesteaks. He's hmm. like, yeah, no, you don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. Because I had cheesesteaks from New England, which are like, mm. they know the, the idea of it, you know, but like, it's like the blind man drawing the elephant. It's just like, no, this is not how you do it. It's like, right. you, you need an Amoroso roll. You need cheese whiz. You need all that stuff. So uh, when I had a real Philly cheesesteak, I, then I became a convert. So um yeah, the uh, Pats and Gino's is the traditional battle. I, don't, I would imagine that since I've been there last, which has been a while, that they've, there's probably some artisanal cheesesteak places at this point in Philly. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a debate about whether the artisanal ones are good or whether the originals are better. Um, I've heard it both ways, you know. I've heard people say, "Oh, well, you got to go to the originals," and then I've heard people say, "Like, listen, the originals are even kind of overblown because really? they haven't done anything, they huh? haven't, you know, renov- they haven't innovated anything in 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 that long, and it's huh? like they have this sort of reputation." But uh, I don't know; it, it'll be interesting. Philly is one of my favorite cities. Really? It was one of the first big cities that I spent a good amount of time in. Uh, I haven't been there in, in quite a while now, but again, because my roommate was from there, I grew up in a rural Massachusetts, so I had not a lot of experience with. With Cities until I went to Philly and there was a great there was a great record store called Third Street Jazz and Rock that's since closed. Um, and I went there with him. got a lot of music that I loved in college. Uh, I played a couple I played. OK, I played one show there uh, as a musician mm-hmm. at a place called the uh, the Frying Pan. I can't remember the name of it. My brother knows it because he also the frying played That's Well, a great the, the, well, here, the <laughs> thing is it, it was some joke because it was next to a fire station. So it was like out of the frying pan <laughs> into the fire, something like that. Or it was the firehouse or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was this little stage uh, and I remember playing the show because and this is a, a, a occupational hazard as a musician. The the electricity was not grounded properly in the venue. So I had an old amp and it was plugged into the wall and I remember going up to the mic. I was like it was like backup vocal. So I wasn't the main singer. Right? Uh-huh. I should never be the main singer in a band, but I was doing backup vocals, and I I went out to to you know do my line or whatever like that. I had my eyes closed, as one does when one is into the music, and I remember through my closed eyelids I could see a blue flash, like you know my eyes were closed, but it was like was, my mouth got close to the mic, and I just felt this electric shock go into oh, my face because if you're touching the strings on the guitar and a little spittle comes out of your mouth, and Uh it hits the mic. And I was just, you know, shot. (laughs) shot It was a little disturbing. So um, I played that one show. I also drove a van there once. Uh, I, I was working for a record label, a hip hop label in New York called Three Two One Records. Okay. This is back in the, this is back in '99. I was an intern.
0: By the way, can I just say that I love the way that you just drop little things like this? Oh yeah, I work for a record label. So well, you, you are mean, you are the absolute <laughs> epitome of cool dads. By am, the way, I am a Renaissance
1: man, as they say, <laughs> um, as the British would say. So hmm. I, um, so I drove. A, I drove. I was driving the van for this hip hop tour, and we went to Philly. Uh, and we were on Bahamadia's like late night show in the middle of the night in Philly, which was fun. I think we played an in-store the next day or something. And it was, I mean, it was a long, it was, it was a short tour. It was like New York to, we played a show in Rhode Island mm. and then Boston and then drove down to Philly. And it was like a long weekend. And by the end of it, it was, like, the longest three days of my life. Like, it was just dealing with a whole crew of of, of rappers and their hangers on. And, like, it was just it was just ridiculous. These guys yeah. were – it was interesting because they were from Brooklyn, and I was super intimidated. Again, I was, like, like the whitest white guy from rural New England, like, <laughs> we're living in New York and everything like that. And so these guys, I was super intimidated. They're from Brooklyn. But they'd never been out of Brooklyn. And so they were a little bit – I think they were a little – felt a little fish out of water. Yeah. But they didn't kind of want to show it. So – Uh, By the end of the trip, I sort of I felt I made a certain bond with a couple of the guys, and and that was cool. But it was like, man, that was that was a long trip um, as uh, working for a tiny rinky-dink record label. Wow. Um, Let's get back to the team, the Philadelphia Union, because here's I've talked a lot about things that are not the team. Because I have to confess, I don't know that I've seen a single Philadelphia Union game this season. Okay. They're in the playoffs. They are. Um, what what are they doing? What are they doing right? Because they obviously don't have headlining talent. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they have some good players. Uh, Dockel is a guy who I've had on my fantasy squad. I know because of his, his productivity. And CJ Sapong is obviously a, a capable finisher, but hasn't had a, had a great season. Mm. Um, what do you feel like
0: Philadelphia has been has been doing right? Um, they are so. First of all, that they are the surprise package this year. When you look at that Eastern Conference and you see the teams that that you would assume would be in the playoffs because of the investments that they've made, the likes of Toronto, shockingly where Orlando are. You know, I could have understood people saying Chicago Fire as well before the season started. Right. I think Philadelphia Union have the most, one of the most blue-collar approach is to, uh, to, to playing the game. They're very direct, but they're also, at the same time as well, that they are, they're one of these teams that, that once, once, they, once they have a plan in place it, it, it seems to work for them Jim Curtin is I think Jim Curtin a couple of years ago I thought he, he would be on his way out if I'm being totally honest mm-hmm. because it hasn't been great for Philadelphia over the course of the past few years so I wondered if he has another bad year this year is is that it so obviously as I said they're, they're in they're in, in the uh, playoff standings at the moment and I see no reason why they won't finish there uh, I, I firmly think DC United will catch someone, <laughs> yeah. whether that's Montreal or someone like that. I don't know, um, but Philadelphia are, are are a really intriguing team. You mentioned CJ Saponga, I know CJ from Kansas City, and he's one of these players that I don't think anyone ever really figured out where his best position is. He was playing out wide for Kansas City for a couple of years, then as the centre forward, and Philadelphia seemed to have had the same issue. Obviously, he had a good year last year. Yeah. And this season, it's it's not worked out for him. Corey Burke has come on the scene and, and done well. I'm a big fan of um, Medunin in midfield, but mm-hmm. also I really, really like Dodge Kal as well, who you just mentioned, that the Czech Republic uh, midfielder. Dodge Kal? Dodge Kal, that's how the, the guy issue. who
1: knows how to pronounce everything. So,
0: a <laughs> so good job. He, uh, yes. He. Um, He was tremendous at Sparta Prague. And in a very was operating a very good Sparta Prague team who we were competing in the Champions League and whatnot several years ago. Uh, I, I like him a lot. He uh, no doubt has been one of the main reasons to, to answer your question. Steve. if he him he he's the reason why yeah. Philadelphia Union have been able to operate the way that they have done over the, the course of the last eight or nine months. I think uh, last last time I saw Carla had 15 assists to his name, mm-hmm. and he was leading Major League Soccer in that category. I think maybe Kakou or somebody. Along that sort of um, set of players may very well have, have overtaken him now, but my point is is that he's he's up there in terms of stats in terms yeah. of assisting and goal scoring and whatnot and I think dodge Carl is is the main player to worry about and, mm-hmm. and Adrian Heath and the coaching staff will know that going forward yeah
1: I, I do remember um, I know they've been running out a very young backline um, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in that uh, in 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 the sense that um, I like the I like the concept of, you know, pulling from your your academy, getting young guys yep. into that back line and then working them together out there with the understanding that maybe it's not gonna be great initially, but especially on the back line. I think if you can end up, you know, you're playing guys who are like 19, 20, 21, 22, or something like that. If you play them together consistently and they're good players, mm-hmm. the, by the point when they're 24, 25, 26, then that that backline can be really formidable uh, yeah. because it, that, it's so important in terms of communication, chemistry, familiarity. All of that stuff is really important back there.
0: Yeah, and look, Elliot came out of absolutely nowhere, the centre half for, for the Union. Uh, and I remember thinking to myself, well, where on earth have they plucked this guy from? And you know, he's he's settled in so well. Um, you know, I think the last the last half of this season has been a little more difficult for him. But it's been a little more difficult for the Union anyway, uh, for whatever reason that is. But um, I think um, th- there are gaps there to, to be exploited, mm-hmm. no doubts. And Elliott, I think, has been caught recently over the last couple of weeks, uh, whether that's lack like of experience or I, I don't know. But the thing about the union is when the back line have, have made a, a mistake, they've always had a very good goalkeeper to, to get them out of the situation And Andre Blake. Yeah. For me, he is one of the better goalkeepers in the league. Mm -hmm. So um, I I don't know how many shutouts he's got, but I I know he was towards the top uh, last time I looked. So again, look, it'll be a difficult task for Minnesota United, but they know, again, if they are to keep the season alive, if they are to keep it competitive, they, they have to win. And wouldn't it be fitting heading into Philadelphia and then with the three games left that Minnesota claimed their second away victory. I know, right. Um, you know, I just, it, it it's just been, if, if Minnesota had any sort of away records, we, we wouldn't even be talking about keeping the season alive. We, we'd be right in the yeah. thick of it. Yeah, and, just an um, average away record. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, you know, you look at most teams in this league, um, you know, if you look at the, the teams that are sort of in the middle of the table, uh, you know, in that playoff area, majority of them have got, Three, four, five away wins. Yeah. You know, it's not like they've got a mammoth amount of them. Right. But Minnesota's home record now, I believe, is one of the best across the entirety of the league. Yeah. So if you just had some sort of away record it'd be great and and I'm sure that'll be something that the coaching staff work on in the off season is how how do you win on the road there's there's, there's certain ways to do it and um, I think that'll that's obviously a concern for them moving forward and, and look I've got every faith in the world that they'll mend that for sure
1: yeah I mean I think that some of that I mean what do I know I'm not a soccer coach I feel like when you have a real, once the team has a real sense of itself mm-hmm. and what it wants to do, um, I think that that travels better. I think I think the the team still is sort of in a in a. There's still a little feel, and certainly throughout the season, there's been points where it's like, well, you know, they've won games in a lot of different ways, um, and one of the ways that they've been most successful when they have been successful is scoring a bunch of goals and then just not quite letting the other team catch up. Mm. That's not a real. Recipe for success on the road, as Adrian has said time and again. So, um, I think if there's if, if there is that burgeoning understanding of you know we're gonna we're gonna get possession back, and then we have guys like Calvo and Bob to send it forward. We've got Darwin yep. who's a threat, and then we've got Angelo who can hold up. We've got Angelo who can like press. You know, like once you get that sense of, of of yourself, then you can either understand if that is what you have to do on the road, or if you have to play a little differently on the road, then you get a little more used to that. I think if mm-hmm. you're, you know, I. Again, this is just a theory, but I'm I'm imagining that I hope that opening Allianz Field is even a a, a boost to the home record as well, oh, which has gosh. been outstanding at TCF. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's I don't want to get too ahead of my skis on, on on thinking about next season and things like that. But it would be nice to get that second away win. That was one thing early in the season. I remember we got the <laughs> first away win. I was like, Well, wow, we already have as many wins as we had <laughs> last year. It's like, well, what, what's the what's the, the sky's the limit for? This. And then we that was no. the only one we had.
0: So a little disappointing. No, but um, just briefly while you mentioned Allianz Field there Steve myself and Kendra and Jamie and our producer Morgan went on a tour of Allianz Field. Oh yeah I
1: saw that you saw that I saw you looking Um, out the window
0: there. Yeah we went on the Friday and it was our first chance to for us go go into our broadcasting booth and to see some of the facilities that will be in and around and and then we were taking on a further tour to see the locker room and uh, the corporate facilities and then some of the the areas where all the fans will be able to hang out and it, it's unbelievable it, it it's is nice. going to be insane it, it very very from my experience very reminiscent of Sporting Kansas City mm-hmm. but it was like Sporting Kansas City on steroids sure. like it was yeah. just the next level and I love the fact that whenever teams for the most part are talking about building new stadiums they go and look at some really nice stadiums and think right how do we get Better? How do we do it yeah. bigger? And I love the fact that that's the way the majority of teams are thinking now. And, and Minnesota United are certainly in that category.
1: Yeah. I definitely feel like when I was at Children's Mercy Park, that it, it had that, it, having been in Allianz Field in an unfinished state, I could see how it could get to that, yeah. that place. You know, obviously, Providence Park, where I, I was mm-hmm. earlier, is a lot different feel. It's converted from it's unique. a minor league stadium mm-hmm. and everything like that. But I, I like the feel at Children's Mercy. It felt intimate. Um, it felt like the right size. Yep. It didn't feel cavernous. Mm-hmm. Um I like that. I like that feel a lot. And so I hope that feel comes along with it. So.
0: Yeah, I think so. Allianz Field is going to be amazing. It really is. I know People just want to get into it now, don't they? They're yeah, sick and right. tired of hearing. I mean, I know I'm, you know, we can't remember how many previews we've done about it and yeah. talked about it, looked at pictures, gone on tours. And, yep. you know, I, I just want to get into it now. And, I, you know, 2019 is going to be fabulous. I really can't wait. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks for joining us for the 30th Sound of the Loons podcast. Uh, so this, we have one more podcast and you have years, right? So this is, the th- is it really 30? 30. Wow. The big 30. My words. I don't know what we're going to celebrate. 50?
0: Uh, we should celebrate 50 for sure, should yeah, some stage?
1: <laughs> okay, we'll start planning for that now. Uh, Minnesota United's next match is on Saturday, October 6th, against Philadelphia Union in Philly. That match kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. You can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC, and you can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Ventures. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.